This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And still to come on said program, Mike Rupp from the NHL Network. We'll get on the uh, the page of the Boston Bruins and the New Jersey Devils. Bad news for the Devils. Bad news news for uh, for your guy Jeffy's uh, one of Jeffy's favorite players here. Uh, Nico Heischer will not play tonight, so will not be on a line with Jesper Brad and Igor Sharangovich at all, which sucks. Devils face off against the Flyers a little bit later on. This evening, we'll talk to Mike Rupp about the Devils and the Boston Bruins, amongst other teams. Probably talk about the Avalanche, too, depending on how much time we have. Eric Engels from Sportsnet will catch us up on the Montreal Canadiens. Whether it's your Caden Gooleys, whether it's your Nick Suzuki's, whether it's your Cole Caulfield's, whether it's your Yuri Slavkovsky's, whether it's your ovations yesterday for Carey Price. That was awesome. Like we said before, there's two places in the world where they do ceremonies properly. Buckingham Palace and the Bell Center. That's it. Um, let's turn our attention to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And one of my favorite people to talk about, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, is my good friend Josh Getzoff. He is a radio play-by-play voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he joins me now. How are you today, Josh? I'm great, Jeff. It's, uh, it's a great day for hockey, as they say here in Pittsburgh. So great to be with you, and it's good to talk to you again. I love the Bob Johnson poll. I love the Badger Bob poll, the old Wisconsin Badger Bob. It's a great day for hockey. Um, I love it, Josh. Um, first of all, before we get to the Penguins, how's Berkey? Because we miss him around here. Do you want to send him back yet, or are you keeping him? Uh, you know what? He he and I have, have I don't want to say we've built a Merrick-Burke-like relationship because that's, <laughs> that's just next level. <laughs> We're not shooting any digital shorts yet. You don't have anything to worry about there. But uh, he, what a great guy and, and what a great asset he's been to the Penguins. I mean, he he brings the personality, but he also brings, you know, the knowledge and, and the respect that comes with all the years that he's been involved in the game. And yeah. I think that, you know, the, the culture that he's helped to enhance here and, and put his fingerprints on it's it's benefited and it's been great to you know work side by side with him and get to know him better he's, he's just been a, he's a gem he's a beauty as you would say well i'll tell you he is and i love him and i miss him uh we all miss him having him around here and he, and he hops on as often as he can um but if you really want to have the merrick burke relationship he has to be angry and refuse to talk to you for five years if you really yeah, if you really I, want to have the relationship that i've had with brian I think I have to work on that one. I, I tend to, you know, <laughs> toe the line too much with him. Maybe I need to step over it a couple times. <laughs> uh, he's the best. Uh, I love him. Okay, Pittsburgh Penguins. So the band is back together. That story has been well told. I want to ask you this because, you know, there was part of me at various times who said, you know, it's not going to go this way. And we're going to wonder about, you know, does Malkin end up with the Red Wings? And, you know, does Latang end up with the Habs because of Kent Hughes, etc.? Was there a... Was there a time, Josh, where you said, okay, you know, they signed Jeff Carter for two years. Maybe that's an indication. They're thinking Malkin might not be back, and we're not sure what Latang is thinking, and there's the whole Brian Rust question. Was there a time you thought the band wouldn't get back together? Yes, uh, there, there was a time, and I, I actually really felt that way pretty strongly, actually, after the, the locker room clean-out day this past May uh, when everyone met. Uh, the media that day was, you know, Brian Rust and Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin. And they they were saying bye. They were shaking hands with the media, walking out. And I kind of had a, a come to moment at that point of just being like, wow, maybe this, this is the end of a lot of these guys that have been staples. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the core and such, such big parts of championship Penguins teams in the past. So uh, pleasantly surprised. I think of the three, the one that I thought was most likely to go honestly was Rust. 
Uh, and I remember you and I spoke about him last year because of the numbers he was putting up uh, and what he could command in free agency and the appetite for him in free agency. I thought that, you know, there would be a, a factor of wanting to keep the core together, or the big three as they refer to them here in Pittsburgh with Malkin, Crosby, and Latang. I thought that Malkin and Crosby, there was, if you really had to boil it down, there was a higher possibility in my mind those two were going to come back to Pittsburgh. Russ, I was surprised by, yeah. and Russ was the first one to re-sign of the three. Um, so that, that uh, you know, did kind of set the wheels in motion for the offseason, I think. And, man, I mean, when you think about the deals the Penguins got these guys at, you know, they're not thinking the, the third or fourth years, or fifth years of these deals. They're thinking about this year, next year, the year yeah. after that, and um, what it means for the present. And I think at the rate they got them and the players that they have, uh, there wasn't anyone better than them on the open market, and they, they did well. You know, I, uh, the, the one guy that I really wondered about was Evgeny Malkin. And, you know, would Malkin finally, you know, Fedorov and Iserman split. Like, Fedorov eventually went out to, to you know, to, to get out from that, you know, one-two. I mean, geez, he signed an offer sheet to try to get out once upon a time uh, with, the, with the Carolina Hurricanes. But um, I, I wondered about Malkin. And, you know, one of the things that I had heard was, you know, he really, you know, salary cap be damned, he really wanted the Ovechkin deal. Like, that's that was going to be the one for him. And, you know, this this went right down to like the the last minutes. You know, bef- before he had the ability to split. Um, you have a sense of maybe like who bl- who blinked here, like who who finally said, "Okay, I'm going to go a little bit further than I thought I would just to make this happen." Was it the Penguins or or was it Malkin? I think if you look at the two sides, I do think at the end of the day, the one that blinked probably was Malkin. Cause I think Ron Hextall was pretty straightforward with him and his camp from the get go. Uh, and, you know, along with Fenway sports group for, with the get go of, as far as what was being offered, you know, where the, the highest they'd go as far as terms and dollars were concerned and what it meant for the team moving forward for him to be a part of it. And, you know, I, I, there's a part of me that doesn't really fault of Getty Malkin for having that mindset in the off season. Yeah. He's a penguin for life, but at the end of the day, I, I don't really get involved in people's personal business. And if, if he felt like that, that was something he wanted to pursue. I mean, he's done a lot here in Pittsburgh. You would understand. I mean, it would be a strange sight seeing him in another uniform, no question, but you'd yeah. understand maybe from his perspective, you know, why he felt like maybe it was time for a fresh start. But I think that there was a lot of conversation behind the scenes. Um, I think that, you know, when things really boiled down to a head, it was, uh, Evgeny Malkin realizing the similar thing that I mentioned earlier that as far as the player the Penguin could bring the Penguins could bring in to replace Malkin if he were to leave, I think from Gino's perspective it's okay where would I go where I'd have a better situation than I do in Pittsburgh. I mean you're playing with your lifelong friends that you grew up in the organizations with. There's still an expectation that this team can contend and potentially win another Stanley Cup, uh, and, and you're you're surrounded by an organization that has taken care of you from the second that you entered the league. And uh, that clearly meant something to him because when it came down to it, uh, as I found out at a men's softball game mm. that night when he was signing and it was released at whatever time, 1030 at night, yep. uh, you know, he, when he finally made that decision, that changed a lot as far as the outlook for the Penguins this year, because who knows where they go in free agency to address that need and how they're able to attack it uh, if they don't have Evgeny Malkin. Yeah, I think we've all, you know, the the alternate universe in the NHL is, is, uh, is a great story. You know, what if, you know, Joe Thornton ended up getting traded to the Florida Panthers, one for one for Roberto Luongo. That deal was, was on the table once upon a time, but then the uh, the Florida owner didn't want to take back any money. Like, how different is that landscape? And I was thinking about that with Malkin, too, over the summer. 
Now, how different is the NHL landscape if 71 isn't in the lineup for the Pittsburgh Penguins? You know, what then happens? And my big question is, what then happens with Crosby? I mean, from day one here, it's like, let's make sure that while we have this, you know, Mount Rushmore player, hockey Mount Rushmore player, let's make sure that we have the best possible players around him to maximize his value. Um, how, how much of this was, we still have Sid, he's one of the most important players that ever come through the Pittsburgh Penguins, being the only one that you can have in that other player in that conversation is Mario Lemieux. We need to do everything to make sure that Sid doesn't feel like he's headed into an empty calorie season. I think that's a huge part of it as far as, you know, keeping him, uh, for lack of a better word, happy and believing in what the Penguins are doing and in keeping these guys here, a couple future Hall of Famers. And, I mean, certainly the Penguins have had some incredible defensemen in their history when you think of Paul Coffey and Larry Murphy and even going back to Ron Stackhouse. But, I mean, the Chris Tank, from a statistical perspective, is the best defenseman they've ever had, um, which is saying something. Uh, and obviously Evgeny Malkin's career speaks for itself as well. So I think they feel like, you know, nostalgia, definitely a part of it, um, but the present being a, a key factor too, that they feel like their best chance to win, as Mike Sullivan always says, is with these guys uh, in the lineup. And I, I do believe that. I, mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, they talk a lot, Jeff, over the last couple of years about, hey, you know what, we fell short against the Islanders, we fell short against the Rangers, but we really believe that we were destined for more. Um, and now the you know Fenway Sports Group and Ron Eckstall have kind of said, okay, if you do believe that, here's your opportunity. We're keeping you together to do it. So uh, it's it's on them now, and, and I think that they'll answer the call. I mean, I do think there's something to be said too for knowing that they're all going to be here. There's no uncertainty uh, beyond this year like there was last year. It's it, there's no uh, potential last call or anything like that. They're mm-hmm. going to be here for for life, uh, essentially, as far as being Penguins are concerned. And um, I think they're excited to go at it starting tonight. Okay, Josh, uh, news from the King, uh, from the Keystone State here, not about the Pittsburgh Penguins, but rather the Philadelphia Flyers. I'll interrupt this interview for the Philadelphia Flyers news break with, with your permission. Uh, Elliot, Elliot just tweeted this a couple of seconds ago, hearing the Philadelphia Flyers and Travis Sanheim are making progress on a long-term extension. Sanheim's scheduled to be a UFA. He might have been like, well, he would have been one of the most sought-after UFAs if he, uh, if he got there. Sounds like it's in the $6 million range, but not sure of the exact number. So the Philadelphia Flyers, Chuck Fletcher, um, getting some business done here. It looks like Sanheim uh, re-ups on a, on a team that's going to go through, just to be blunt, a season of pain. Um, back to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, you mentioned the Rangers series a couple of seconds ago, and is anyone still talking about the Truba hit? Uh No. No, no, but no one really is, is acknowledging it that much. I've heard it referenced in some interviews, uh, yeah. but not by players. Uh, they're they're past that. I think they're they're totally squarely focused on on this situation ahead. Um, I got to tell you, Gensel, Crosby, Raquel—that sounds and I'm sure looks nice. Your thoughts? Yeah, it really does. Um, I, I'll say this: that you know, Mike Sullivan's never really been hiding anything he's been doing this training camp. I know a lot of people are trying to dissect the lines and everything, but he always groups his his uh, lines in the form of pairs and then adds a third part that he feels like is a good complementary fit. And by that, I mean he's had, you know, Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby working together. He's had Brian Rust and Evgeny Malkin working together, Kasperi Kapanen and Jeff Carter working together, uh, and Teddy Bluger and Brock McGinn working together. So, 
uh, you kind of could figure out two-thirds of all those lines based on that. And when he put Raquel up, um, everyone kind of had an inkling that that was going to be the case when they saw Russ was with Malkin, um, just being that Russ would naturally be the right winger other than Raquel who'd be on that line. But I'll tell you what, Ricard Raquel this morning, just watching him with uh, the old 2-9 or Phil Bork when we were getting ready for the game. Uh, man, the guy can shoot the puck. That's not a secret, obviously. We know oh, yeah. that from the time at Anaheim. But I wonder what a, a winger like that does for, uh, you know, Crosby and Gensel. That, uh, you know, he can create some space. He's a, he's a you know, a heavier kind of guy. Mm -hmm. But he also can skate and he can shoot and he likes to shoot. And uh, Crosby having a winger there that likes to rip the puck, uh, you know, Brian Russ was no shy stranger to that either. But uh, I look at, you know, Raquel as being maybe a less physical but more of a uh, skilled complementary type piece like Chris Kunitz was on that wing too. Um, and, and I really feel like it could be a nice fit there. Now they've been pretty quiet uh, in the preseason until the last game against Buffalo when they had it seemingly going in Mach one uh, against, you know, admittedly a less than NHL ready lineup for the Sabres in that preseason game. But at the same time, you like to see progress, and there was some uh, with the three of them together. And they had some spurts in the regular season down the stretch last year, too. So I'm eager to see what they can do, you know, fresh slate out of the gate here starting tonight. And uh, I would think that, you know, the way Sidney Crosby um, plays against the Arizona Coyotes, I guess you can kind of fit any team into that blank. Mm -hmm. uh, but the way that he plays against the Arizona Coyotes, that uh, Raquel and Gensel might be some serious beneficiaries uh, in the coming hours ahead. You know, you're a thorough pro, so I know you can do this in the 30 seconds that we have left. Take us through the thought process of bringing in Jeff Petrie. Um, Ron Hextall said in the offseason, Jeff, that he wanted to get bigger. He wanted to get stronger. Uh, he didn't necessarily mean nastier, but bigger and stronger. And Jeff Petrie, 6'3 and 200-plus pounds, uh, ditto for Jan Ruda. I think with Petrie, he's another guy who could also be in a lot of teams' top two pairs. Yep. Uh, he gives you that, you know, the, the all-situational type element to the back end. And he's paired nicely with Marcus Pedersen, who needs a bounce back year. So uh, I think he's a good fit back there. Uh, I know it's a, a nice situation for him and his family being in Pittsburgh, and uh, he seems ready to go. That's awesome. Uh, you're the best, Josh. Always good catching up. Uh, enjoy another season of Penguins hockey. We'll be watching. We'll be listening. Can't wait, Jeff. I'll talk to you soon. There we go. Say hi to Berkey. Uh, Josh Getzoff, uh, radio play-by-play play -play voice for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, the band is back together in Pittsburgh. They are still going for it. Like, it's one of those teams where – Trying to think of, I mean, if you're in Toronto, you think of 1967 and that old gang that won the Stanley Cup. You know, we focus so much on kids around the NHL and kids winning Stanley Cups and how, look at Kale McCarr's got a Stanley Cup. And we focus so much on the youth in the NHL. You know, I, I wonder at, at which point, you know, during the playoffs, if they really get the momentum rolling. You know, it's it's easy to do the older guy underdog story right now in the uh, in, in the NHL. I wonder how many people really get behind the Pittsburgh Penguins now that it's obvious. Like, they just brought it back to get one more crack at it here for Crosby, for Malkin, uh, for Latang, uh, just because it was so much fun to watch those guys uh, in their prime. All right, uh, our two's on the horizon. Eric Engels stops by. We'll talk about the uh, Montreal Canadiens who open up their season in grand style, the opening ceremony. Mwah! Chef's kiss. Uh, and then they go out and beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in spectacular fashion with the leaf killer, Josh Anderson. But up next from the NHL Network, he is Mike Rupp, a tour around the NHL, the Devils, the Bruins, some of the games tonight, and the Avs. Plenty with Rupper. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network.
is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hey, welcome to Hour 2. Thanks so much for joining me. Bottom of the hour, we'll talk to Eric Engels about the Montreal Canadiens. Big win last night for the Habs. Another great presentation by the Habs, comma, again, period. A couple of things in advance of welcome, welcoming Mike Rupp here to the program. Uh, Rasmus Ristolainen is out tonight against the New Jersey Devils. Flyers in action against the Devils. John Tortorella says he is day-to-day with a body injury. Uh, you know what that makes me think of? That makes me think of Chris Botta. So Chris Botta used to handle media relations for the New York Islanders. Chris now has his own podcast. He does a lot of work in the uh, women's hockey space as well. And Chris, went in one of the, uh, I can't remember which injury it was, but one of the times that Rick DiPietro, Islanders netminder, was injured and they wanted to hide it or cover it up a little bit, but they still had the obligation to say why Rick DiPietro wasn't playing. Uh, what Chris Botta came up with, which to me will always be Chris's crowning glory and his greatest achievement working with the New York Islanders. Please take no offense, Chris. I think it was brilliant. Uh, in the press release, and I wish I would have framed it because it was brilliant. He writes, and Rick DiPietro will not be available for an unspecified amount of time. He is out with, quote, general body soreness. General body soreness. That will be the legacy uh, of Chris Botta as uh, head of media relations for the New York Islanders. Uh, One other thing quickly, as I mentioned in the uh, opening of the program, talking about Josh Anderson, who is, as we all know, a uh, Toronto Maple Leafs killer. And he did it again last night in spectacular fashion. The Habs beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. And one of the things that I mused about was he may be and is one of the only players to have done what? And that is fought both Zdeno Chara and Milan Lucic, to which Steve Fellin, who handles uh, SN Stats, great Twitter feed, and does a lot of the a uh, lot of that work uh, for us at sports, and not just in hockey but in other sports as well. Uh, he actually did the research on this one and sent along. It wasn't only just Josh Anderson; two other players, Ratus Ivanins, who we might all remember from the Steve McIntyre fight. Oof. And Tim Gleason, those are the only three to have pulled off the rare feats of fighting Bozidane Chara and Milan Lucic. Uh, with that, we bring Mike Rupp to the program from the NHL Network. Rupper, how are you today? I'm doing good, Jeff. I didn't realize that's an acceptable uh, uh, call-out is, is general body soreness. <laughs> I, I could have called out I could have called out today, but I won't do that to you. I've been uh, waiting to get on here with you, so uh, I'm here. Yeah, that was one of my favorite press releases ever, and I remember I called Chris after, and I was like, you got to be kidding. He's like, yeah, you like that, eh? Yeah, you like that one, Merrick? Yeah. <laughs> general body soreness. That's what we're sticking to. We're not saying anything about DiPietro's injury. Um, anyway, first of all, uh, welcome aboard, Rupper. Great to hear your voice again. New season on the horizon. The entire season uh, commenced as we all know, last Friday and Saturday in Prague with the Nashville Predators taking two from the San Jose Sharks. Uh, opening night a couple of nights ago, day two yesterday, day three today. We'll open up sort of generally, and the, the floor is yours on this one. Who is the most interesting team in the NHL to you this season? Like that one team where you just have so many questions, you don't know where they're going to end up. Uh, they may flame out. Uh, they may win the conference or their division or whatever. Is there one team that sticks out for you, Rupper? Oh, man, there's a lot that come to mind when you ask that um, for a lot of different varying reasons. I mean, Ottawa is the one that I'm, I'm excited to see. 
I, I will say, and I think that we've all talked about it yep. um, to, a, to a good extent, is that that's a lot of points to make up if you're talking about last year to, to this year making it in. What was it, 30-some points that they were out? So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I love what they're doing. I, I'm looking forward to it. I think the National Predators, uh, I don't. I don't think teams give or, or people are giving them enough respect. I, I think that is a team that could push Colorado in the central. I really do. I think they'll be second probably in the central. Um, but that I think the days of them being a bubble team, are they going to make it uh, going through hot stretches and then cold stretches? I think that's over. I think they're going to be a solidified playoff team throughout mm-hmm. the season. Um, you know, I don't know. I, after that, um, I, you know, I think there's a big question mark. So we're, I was on uh, NHL Network uh, yesterday, and we were kind of talking about the Florida Panthers. And uh, <laughs> we're either getting way ahead of ourselves. They haven't played a game yet. Uh, they haven't even played a game yet. But we're like, could they miss the playoffs? I don't know. There's just something about that team that I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Are they going to be a dominant team or are – is there a chance they can make or miss the playoffs? I think the last team to win the president's trophy and then miss the playoffs was like the 13, 14 Bruins, I think. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, those are kind of some of them that jump What's out the, to me. A lot of intriguing let, let, things other can, and elsewhere though. If we could just pause on that really quick, Mike, like, what, what is, what is the one? Cause I have my concerns. I'm, I'm curious what yours are. Like, is there one area that you look at and you say, Ooh, man, that, that one might be the bridge too far for them here. What are you talking about? The Panthers? Yeah. Yeah, um, I. A lot of times with all these moves in the off season, we're saying, "Did the team get better?" I mean, that's that's the narrative we we talk to nauseam about in the off season because we need something to talk about. I mean, yeah. we like when we see teams making moves. Um, did they get better? That's a tricky one with the Panthers. I'm with you. Did they get better? They, I, they're not more talented. They're not see, more talented than they were. You know. But did they get better to position themselves to win a playoff round? I think they could have been. Yeah, I, I think that's an area that they, they they changed they changed who they are a little bit, and I, we'll see if it works. Because I don't know if just adding one player is going to do that. So he, here's the thing that I've that I've always felt about the Panthers. Like when Bell, when Bill Zito took over, the reputation the Panthers had was they were easy to play against. Right? It's a no. It's the Panthers. It's a soft team. Go take go take your two points. There's a lot of skill there, but it's the you know as Berkey always talks about, it's soft skill. And so Zito takes over, and right away he tries to fill this team with players that are that are nasty to play against. You know, there's uh, you know Radko Gudis. I think Patrick Hornquist might have been his his first yeah. move, and now he brings in Matthew Kachuk. So it sort of fits that idea of we need to be harder to play against. You know, they let go of Jonathan Huberdeau, and listen, he's one of the elite playmakers in the NHL. But I'll tell you what, Rupper, the one the one move that I think like, costs them more than anything. Man, losing Mackenzie Weger is tough. Like yeah. Weger and Ekblad yeah. together were like among like that's that's an elite pair. There's like what four or five elite pairs in the NHL. They were one of them. And I love Gustav Forsling. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think that's the one. Like I'm with you, Rep. Like I I don't know. Like could they fall out of it and not make the playoffs? Sure. And I think it's it's the the uh, the you know the the fact that Mackenzie Weger isn't there anymore. If I'm going to pinpoint one thing, that's going to be it for the Panthers. Uh, that Mackenzie Weger, I say this tongue in cheek, that can go down as one of the most um, valuable, uh, quote unquote, throw ins of a trade that I've ever seen. 
Yeah, I know he wasn't a throw-in. Brad Trey Living was not. That was not a throw-in. Yeah, uh, they 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 knew exactly what they're getting. But my point is, when you're talking about two hundred-point guys getting traded for each other, mm-hmm. first time since Wayne and Jimmy Carson, uh, you know, it, it's it, that's that's going to get the headlines. It's not going to be Mackenzie Weger. I agree with you. I think Mackenzie Weger is, is something. That decor to oh. me is a little little vulnerable. And let's be frank, their goaltending's vulnerable. It's been. So what, what's going to happen here? I mean, you've got Bob. You've got the new extension there. Um, you know, uh, uh, Spencer Knight. With Spencer Knight, thank yeah. you. Yes, uh, Spencer Knight. And, uh, like, I don't know. I, 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 they've got some question marks. Uh, I think Matthew Kachuk's going to add a lot to that team. But um, I, I, I've always thought this, and I actually used this uh, yesterday because I, I was trying to think about how teams try to recreate. And I love what Bill Zito's done. Every move he's done, I love the guts he's gone with and, and, and the, the moves he made last year. I love the moves he made now. But my concern is, and, and from playing, your team is tough to play against when every single guy is tough to play against in their own way. Okay? So I remember distinctively playing against uh, Montreal, and they got George Larocque. George Larocque was the most feared guy in the NHL. Like, do, do, when I'm on the ice, you're, you're damn right I know when George is out there, right? Mm-hmm. That didn't make their team tough. That just made it like I got to know where that guy's on the ice because mm-hmm. he's tough as nails, right? Uh, the Montreal team. So I guess my point is you can't just add a guy and, and add Matthew Kachuk and be like, all right, now we're gamers. The thing I think has lacked this team in the playoffs is, and I love Sasha Barkov, love him, love him. I love Jonathan Uberdo. But until your superstars are hard to play against, hard in the playoffs to play against, you're not going to win. So adding Matthew Kachuk will drag you into the fight, but you need a response from every player in that lineup to be harder to play against come playoff time. You know the team you're describing as really hard to play against in their own way to a person? Tampa. Zero passengers. Yeah. You look at Tampa the last three years after that series against Columbus where, listen, the rumors were out there at that Vancouver draft. You know, Kucherov was going to Edmonton for Dreisaitl. Those were the rumors at the floor. They were, oh, they're upset and Tampa's going to, no one does anything here. Uh, all of a sudden, it was no more passengers. And there was a there was one game, you know, there was a game the next season. It was Tampa and Ottawa. And, you know, uh, Kucherov had been in and out of the doghouse with John Cooper. And it's a, it's a close game, and he benches Kucherov for almost like, I think, I want to say it was like the full second and the full third period. Goes to overtime, Anthony Sorelli ends up winning it. But, like, that was the message. Like, we're not kidding around here whatsoever. And you look at the the playoffs when they won their two Stanley Cups. You look at last year getting to the Stanley Cup final. How many times do we say, yeah, that guy just blocked a shot. He's going off. He's not coming back. And five minutes later, right. that guy's back, and he's jumping in front of shots, and he's finishing checks. Like every single player, whether you're, you know, slight like uh, like Anthony Sorelli or you're a big, strong six-foot-six defenseman like Victor Hedman, everybody on that team played hard in their own way. Like, to me, that's the – we all focus on the skill of Tampa. To me, the success of Tampa is how hard they play. And, like, hearing you talk about, like, being hard to play in your own way, to me, that's Tampa, Rupper. That's the story of the Tampa Bay Lightning. It is. And that's why they've, they've done what they've done. And I agree with you 100%. Because, and that's the thing. is like Nikita Kucherov, I mean, I, I, during the finals, I remember being distinctly being in Colorado – and there's times where I want to, like, I don't have any hair, but I want to pull it out, my beard. I'll pull my beard out. Let's put it that way. I want to pull my beard hair out because, like, there'll be a play. It'll be a broken play. He'll turn the puck over, and he'll go for this loop-de-loop and then just glide back to the bench. And I'm like, 
You can't do that. All right. So I'm not trying to say that he's the perfect player and he competes on both sides of the puck at every second. But when you steal the puck from him or your team needs something, there's another level. And Nikita Kucherov's got that. He's got that squirreliness. You don't even know. He might take your bloody head off. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that is what you need. It doesn't have to look the same. It's not going to look the same. And, and let's look at even from the National Predators. This is a perfect example. And I spoke about what I think of them this year. This is what I love. Once you get that going, once you get that, that identity, we always lose, use that term, in who you are. Nashville was the toughest team in the league last year. They were hard-nosed. Tanner Juneau is a perfect poster boy for that. Throughout their lineup, they were a, a, a hard team to play against in, in various ways. So what do they do? They know who they are. The moves they make, they grab more hard players to play against. Let's get Ryan McDonough in here. Yep. Very difficult to play against, that Tampa you just talked about. Oh, yeah. Let's get Nino Niederreiter. Like Nino, I remember playing with him in Minnesota, and it was one of his first couple years, and guys would skate up to me, and you want to know the influence that your teammate has? It's like, guys would come to me like, Rupper, who is this Nino? I'm going <laughs> to kill him. Like, get, Tell him to settle down. And I'm like, you know, go back to the bench like means keep doing it, bud. keep doing it. You're doing everything. <laughs> and, and you know what I mean? Like to have those types of things, like you're doubling down Nashville, David Poyle doubled down. And it's like, this is who we are yeah. and we're going to keep being this. That's why that team will be hard to play against this year. There's a, there's a few things. I I'm, I'm with you on Nashville. I, I, I think that Tampa handed them a playoff spot when they gifted them. And we all know the salary cap reasons for it. When they gifted Nashville, Ryan McDonough, because we talk about elite pairs and we always talk about, you know, who's your shutdown pair, who's, you know, you know, stifling offense in, in the defensive zone. That pair of Ryan McDonough and Matias Ekholm is going to frustrate the hell out of everybody in the Western Conference. Good luck getting a shot on net with that with that yeah. pair with I mean, that they, pair on the well, ice. Let's, let's flip that script and ask you now, because when I see Tampa and we can I'm not judging Tampa after game one against the Rangers. Yeah. But when I look at that lineup and I like Cal Foot, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna be a very good defenseman. I think he's a good defenseman now. But without Ryan McDonough and Jan Ruda, now all of a sudden it's like John Cooper's gotta find some of those other players. And but let's not forget Andre Pollat. Talk about being tough to play against. Yeah. Like now this team's gotta find other guys. How, how can I compliment our group to be tough to play against so this team can get back to their fourth straight Stanley Cup? Uh, it's a huge vacancy down there in Tampa. The, uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, like, I'm glad you mentioned Palat specifically. The, Ryan McDonough, like, that's tough, but is mitigated by the fact that you had Mikhail Sergachev, which is a great luxury playing on your third pair. Like, a guy that good probably shouldn't be on your third pair, so he gets a bump up. And now, is he the same player as Ryan McDonough? No, but still, you have... You have someone that can step into that into that uh, that second pair spot. Um, Andre Palat, like I've I've made the I think you and I have talked about this. Like I look at him as a mini Hosa. Like you look at Mary how Hosa. he plays. You know, he's like any situation. Pickett, this guy is 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 on the ice. Um, it's tough to get a headline when you have Stamkos and Kucherov and Hedman and Vasilevsky and like it's tough. But you, you know, like you can't lie to players. Players know who's good and who's not good. Go talk to play. I mean, you're, you played. You know, talk to players about uh, about him and how important Andre Palat was to that. Like we're always waiting for like because this happens with Stanley Cup teams. Like there's only so far you can go. You know, win a Stanley Cup, have to get rid of these two guys. Win another Stanley Cup, have to let go of these three. Get to the Stanley Cup final, have to let these two guys go. Like at a certain point, you say we don't want to use it as an excuse, but this is a reason why we're not there anymore. I wonder if lose. I'm with you. I wonder if losing Palat 
might be that one player too much, one player too many. And again, like you, I don't want to put too much on the first game. Tampa looks slow against the Rangers. Yeah. Like they really yeah. did, Rupper, didn't no, they? The, the only saving grace I think that team has, and I think there's only one Andre Ply, I think that team would tell you in Tampa, is they've got some of the guys, some other guys cut from the same, from the same, you know, cloth. They've mm-hmm. got Anthony Sorelli. They've got Alex Kalorn. If he can get back to what he's been in prior years. Yeah. Um, you can even add in there Brandon Hagel, the way he took on more of a defensive responsibility, Nick Paul. I mean, they've got other guys who can collectively make up for that. We, I think that's the hope. Um, but, you know, when you have uh, – just look at it from Tom Fitzgerald's standpoint, obviously the GM in, in New Jersey. This Devils team, it was a nightmare in goal last year. They couldn't get a save. Yep. They couldn't get health in that. They couldn't get a save. That's why they go out and get Vanacek. They're hoping it's Mackenzie Blackwood. Vanacek, they can stay healthy, give them a little bit of a backbone. This team needs to, has to show – um, show a step. They showed a step last year, but they did for 40 games. Mm-hmm. You got to do it for 80, 82 games, man. You got to, you got to keep this thing going. You can't have a, the bottom can't fall out. And so this is a team in New Jersey. They can score goals. Like they can, they can put the puck in the net. Um, that's all good. And that's part of the puzzle. That's a big piece of the puzzle. That's, that, that's the name of the game, but they got to get some intangibles in their lineup and they get Andre Pollard in there, put them with Jack Hughes, like I, now all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're like, all right, well, even if this team doesn't do it right now, at least they're, they're showing a guy come in here. That's got two Stanley cups. Uh, he, he's got everybody's eyes on him. I mean, this is a guy that um, can provide a lot and that's what this team needs. Now yeah. Tom Fitzgerald's responsibility as the GM. How can we fill this group out? And, and these guys all have to learn. We have to teach it. We have to get it going through Jack Hughes, Nico Ishir, Dawson Mercer, all these guys got to play the game and be hard to play against in their own way. But we also got to start complimenting this over time. So that's kind of the next phase here for the Devils. You know, I said this off the top of the show. I'm glad you got us to the Devil. I apologize to all the listeners and, and, and viewers because I'm going to probably talk way too much about the Devils here on this program because to me, they're one of the more interesting teams. And I like a lot of these players. Like Nico Ishir is one of my favorite players in the NHL full stop. And I keep saying to myself, this guy starts to... You know, if, I mean, the big issue and the issue issue right now is the hospital bracelet. This guy stays healthy. He will finally enter the conversation for the Selkie Trophy. He is that good. Like, that's that's Nico Heischer. Jack Hughes, you know, proved last year he's he's over a point-a-game player. Again, stay healthy, hospital bracelet off. thing about Hughes is, to your point, he's never played with anyone like Palat. Like, he's never had someone like that. Like, that is a real luxury. I remember talking to, um, to Colby Armstrong about Tyler Bozak once. I said, what can you tell me about Tyler Bozak? He said, he makes it easy to play the game. He said, as a player, yeah. you're, you're always looking to find find line mates that make the game easy. And if I'm Jack Hughes and I'm looking over and I see Andre Palat, he's doing all those things, Rupper, that make the game easier for Jack Hughes. Like, I, I'm with you. Health and get a save, to me, the New Jersey Devils, they can make up that ground and don't be surprised if they're in the playoffs. You need to have... You, you need to have game managers. And that's one thing that I think has fallen a little bit to the wayside over the last 15 years in the NHL. Um, geez, we can go back to grassroots, uh, skill development, and all that. And it's, it's been, this, this game's never been in a better spot skill-wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous what every, every single player, not just Connor, not just Austin, every single player can do. Like, the, the level 
as a whole is so high right now. But the thing that's got, it was funny, uh, yesterday, last night on my podcast, uh, we had uh, Andy Green on, obviously just uh, retired yesterday. Awesome, awesome. And uh, he, uh, great story there, like just undrafted Love him. Um, player. I was in the uh, first training camp with him, getting a little sidetracked here, where he comes in and uh, with the Devils, and you look, and you're like, this is the defenseman. Like this guy's going to make our team. He's like, he's little. He wasn't, he wasn't strong. Yeah. He wasn't fast. His shot from the point would bounce on the way to the net. The guy played a thousand games, yeah, over a thousand games. And it was the captain. Yeah. Talk about just making everything work for you. But anyways, Andy Green brought up a good point. He goes, <clears throat> he goes, I'm not trying to sound like that old man yelling at the cloud, but what has happened over time is Players are so skilled now. That is their mindset to get themselves out of trouble. How can I skill myself out of this predicament I'm in in the game? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's and that's where they're at. Like the 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 reading of the game and, and those things. Like he he said that you talk to some of the younger players now that are so freaking skilled. But you talk to them and you're like, hey, in this moment you need to you need to do this because of what's on the clock time wise the situation, the scoreboard, all these things. And it's like, oh, why would I do that? Can I just beat this guy one-on-one? And then, you know, we still have the puck. You know, and it's like those things have been lost. So when you get Andre Palat and those types of guys, like that's almost the dying breed, I feel like, in the NHL. Mm -hmm. I think we need to get in player development. We got to find a way to get back to game managers. Make your superstars be game managers. I can name a few in this league that are game managers and are pretty freaking good. You know, Sidney Crosby's a game manager. He'll cut the court on a play to do what's right in that moment of the game. You know, Patrice Bergeron, you can go on and on with these guys. So I think that we've gotten to the point where your third and fourth line guys are almost the farm team for your top two lines. And that's fine because those guys could get up there and be top line guys. But in the meantime, if your team's going to win, those bottom two lines better manage the game. And your your top guys got to manage the game too. And I think the best teams do that. So that's why players like Andre Pallott, like, just watch the way that guy plays. He'll oh, dance yeah. someone if he needs to. He'll run through someone if he needs to. And guess what? He'll work his butt off to get to the red line to dump it in to get a good change if he needs to. He'll do what's best for the team. And you can throw anything at him. And this is where I always draw the Hosa comparison. Like, what's the old play? What's the old, the old thing? You, you can't give a great player a bad pass. Throw anything at right. him. Throw it in his skates. He'll take it. Throw it behind him. He'll yeah. take it. Won't, won't break stride. Like, that's the, the, the yeah. I just love the things that players really appreciate. Um, that's what, uh, that, that's what Palat does. You know, in- interesting with, uh, with younger kids now, because I'm like you, like I look at, like I'll go to the, the, uh, the CHL NHL top prospects game every year. And I'll say the same thing. You know, what happened to all the bad skaters? Like, where did all the bad skaters go? Now everybody's like, everybody skates. You look at the NHL, go to practice. Like, everybody is a good skater. Like the, the, the days of, well, yeah, he's awkward getting up and down the ice, but he's got a real great shot. Like those those days are kind of gone now in the NHL, and I find that you know, now that everyone's skating, there's almost now the one point of differentiation, and it's starting to come back in the game. Is young players who, yeah, we know the skill guys, but whether it's you know Moritz Sider wins the Calder last year, you know everyone in Montreal is really excited about this Arbor Jack Eye kid who's you know rocking players. Like it almost seems as if now the way to differentiate yourself because everybody is skilled is to be a little tougher than the next guy. Do you find that, Rupper? I find that, think about when, geez, I remember my, my parents uh, preaching this to me too. It's like, it's it's similar to the way clothing goes in and out of style. Like, right, like in the 70s, uh, geez, you pull up pictures of um, 
of dad Rupp and he's wearing bell bottoms with, you know, the huge <laughs> stash and the, you know, whatever. And then it's like, then all of a sudden at some point those came back. Yeah. Right. And now it was cool again. And then like, there was a time, um, you know, when I was younger, where you had the, you had the, the pants were fitting a little on the smaller side. Then they got really big and baggy. Now it's back to the side. You know what I mean? It's, it's the same thing. So it's like the trendy thing yeah. comes back around. I think in hockey, what we're seeing is, there once was a time not too long ago where it was D D D D D defense oriented. You can't play in the NHL unless you can't, unless you could play defense. Yep. It's kind of flipped. You can't play in the NHL now unless you can skate and play offense in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now it's always, and it has been since the beginning of time, since this game has, has hit the ice, it's been, what can you do differently than everybody else? That that's, that's what you have to figure out. If you want sustainability in the league and carve your place out, if you're not a superstar, what are you going to provide that's different? I could tell you right now, if you can provide a little bit of oomph and a little bit of extra, I'm going to block that shot. I'm going to, I'm going to fight through this check. Those things now, it's come full circle. That's starting to be trendy again. You know, that's value. That's value. That's why guys like uh, Jordan Greenway, uh, use him for an example, how big that guy is. He's a, he's a huge man. And if he can get that extra, that extra, uh, Tom Wilson-esque in him. I'm not saying run around taking everybody's heads off, but like just have that little fear factor. That's going to be the difference between Jordan Greenway making four million a year and seven million a year. Like you know, you know what I mean? Like those things are coming back around, and I think that you need to be different. And right now, different is being sound defensively. And you know what? For we'll we'll end on this one too. Um, you know what? You really really see that, and uh, we we like to focus on Kale McCarr and say, "Oh, look at the edge work! Look at the skating! It's glorious!" If Connor McDavid were a defenseman, it would, he would be Kale McCarr. Think about Kale McCarr as well, because he is such a great skater and can surprise guys. He can catch him. Like, how many times do you see McCarr yeah. catch a guy coming down the right side? Bam! Whoa! Where did that come from? And it's one mm-hmm. little you know whatever he does with his feet. And he's lining up a shoulder to a chest and he's got the puck and it's going back the other way. Like to me, that's again, not really talked about, but part of the genius of Kale McCarr is we focus on the skating. He's a physical D. But in in that that thing with that talent level that he has, right. With, we had Wayne, uh, Wayne saying during the playoffs that he's never seen anybody like that since Bobby Orr. I mean, getting that type of praise and that's, that's, that's focusing on his offense, which he's, Unbelievable. He's the best offensive defenseman in the NHL. Yep. But what, what, what separates him is he uses his strength, his skating, on the defensive side too. So he's standing up in the neutral zone. He's squashing plays. Like usually that confrontation zone is up by the red line. You don't want the other team getting the red line to dump it in or, or, or to advance zones. This guy's standing up people in foreign territory on the ice. Yeah. At the offensive blue line. Like he, he, and so he's taken what he does really well. Mirror Heiskanen is another example. And I think he's going to have a monster year this yeah. year. Is he goes in and he sits in on players. Because when a player sits in, I remember Chris Letang did this, and it used to drive me nuts in practice. And one of my first practices in Pittsburgh, we're doing a drill, and we're just we're basically doing breakouts, coming out of our zone. And the puck's coming around. Uh, it was actually in the neutral zone, and, and in the neutral zone play. And, and Tanger's like right up on me. Like he, he and, and it's practice. We're running through the same stuff. I remember I gave him a little two-hand. I'm like, I'm like, you know, beat it. I'm like, you know what we're doing here. It's practice. Like do it in the game. I remember he looked at me and goes, I, I do do it in the game. And I'm like, so then I start paying attention to what he's doing. And like, the thing is like, he would sit in there on me. And what that means when you see Kale McCarr doing that, 
he's saying, his body language is saying, there's not a chance you're beating me back to my net. We're standing still here. I'm backwards. You're forwards. I believe in my skating so much, there's not a chance that you're going to beat me back to my net. And no one can. And that's why he squashes so many plays before they develop anything. So he's got that offense, but what makes him different, the difference is his skating for his defense. He's unbelievable. Okay, spot quiz then. Who's a better backwards skater, Kel McCarr or Jonas Brodine? That's a good one. I think I heard you bring this up before. Oh, Did you bring it? Yeah, I think I saw I, this before. I, yeah, you've I been, love Brodine. I, 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 I want in the All-Star game to have, uh, as part of the fastest skater, a fastest backwards skater competition. Because okay. I think that's where so Here's Brodine what I shines. got for you. Okay. Uh, Brodine's unbelievable at it. I play with him in Minnesota there. Uh, it, it's so hard because Kill's so explosive, but yeah. Brodine's a little more longer strides, looks a little different. I'm going to throw another one in there. I'm not going to answer that because I have no idea. They're both unbelievable. <laughs> I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say at a ripe age of what, 37, I'm going to say Chris Letang will be every bit as quick skating backwards. He would sit there and challenge yeah. the team from a standstill one lap skating backwards do you start skating forwards he'll start skating backwards he beat everybody it took him on like awesome. it's, it's incredible the guys that can do that i love it i love it uh and love having you on uh rupper thanks as always uh continued success have a great season with nhl network pal awesome buddy you too there he Take is care. we'll uh, talk later the great mike rep uh from the nhl network breaking it down and we are listen when mike rep comes on like you can't just keep him 10 minutes. Like, you kiss, good conversation and flow. And uh, we thank Mike for uh, for coming on, as always. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back with Eric Engels, get on the Montreal Canadiens page. What a win that was for the Habs. What a game that was. What an event that was. Opening night, Bell Center, Montreal Canadiens. It was dramatic. The kids were shining. And it was the leaf killer at the end with the dagger. We'll talk to Eric Engels about the Habs. What's next for them, whether it's Slavkovsky, uh, we should probably talk about Kerry Price as well. He'll meet with the media next week. Anyway, Engel's coming up next. Uh, reports on the Montreal Canadiens for Sportsnet. Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet radio network and Sportsnet 360. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet radio network. Welcome back to the program. Ten games on the go around the NHL this evening. A few Canadian teams in action, including the Ottawa Senators facing off against the Buffalo Sabres. Artem Zub is in the lineup for Ottawa. Nikita Zaitsev, not so fast. Toronto Maple Leafs face off against the Washington Capitals. Two teams disappointed last night. Washington by the Boston Bruins. Toronto by the Montreal Canadiens in a very entertaining affair. That was just a flat-out great hockey game. That was fun, man. All three periods. Uh, here for comments on that game and the Montreal Canadiens in general is our good friend Eric Engels, uh, who covers the Habs for Sportsnet. Eric, how are you, pal? I'm doing great, man. Motor City here in Detroit. and uh, It's a, just a beautiful rink that they've built here, and it's awesome Got it walking into that room and in, in what the Red Wings have built. So it's really cool being here. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's good. And these are, uh, these are a couple of interesting teams, the Montreal Canadiens and the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Detroit we've talked plenty about, and I guess we've spilled a lot, too, about the Montreal Canadiens. And before we get to sort of, you know, what's next for the Habs and what are the plans for certain players, um, give me your thoughts on what we saw last night, right from the, uh, the opening to the, the Carey Price ovation uh, to the opening puck drop to the Caulfield show to the Leaf Killer Josh Anderson. Your thoughts on what we saw last night? Yeah, I mean, starting with the passing of the torch, right? Not the, 
beat that whole euphemism to death, but <laughs> with Terry Price saluting the crowd and Nick Suzuki coming out as the youngest captain in Canadian history and Paul Byron being placed on long-term IR and just the, the transition here in leadership and, um, you know, this young team that has zero expectation on it and openly the Canadians for the first time in their 113-year history essentially telling their fans, be patient because we're, we're not expecting to win and it's not even our priority. Um, that's, that's new. That's new in these parts, new around Montreal, and and I think it's welcome, you know, and and that's for a long time it, it deconstructs the narrative that it wouldn't be accepted in a place like Montreal. I think Montreal fans are savvy and they understand what it takes in order to really be competitive over a sustainable period, and not just be competitive in terms of making the playoffs, but be competitive in terms of competing for the Stanley Cup year after year, and that's what yeah. they're trying to build. Cat Hughes and Jeff Gordon and Martin St. Louis, and so. That's a really kind of good environment for a bunch of kids to be making their NHL debut in as a Montreal Canadian because the pressure kind of lifts off and Martin St. Louis wants them playing freely. He wants them playing within their structure and his concepts Mm -hmm. and playing the game as he puts it and he put in this interview that I did with him earlier in this week where it's, we want you to play your game but within our game and and really what he wants is for you to play the game, read the the play, uh, read and react figure out who's where on the ice, not just in terms of your own line mates and your defense, but where the opposition is so that you can plug those holes and create advantages all over the ice. And it's just got an interesting philosophy. And I think we saw it all over the ice for the Canadians last night, the way they played the game, the way they took advantage of the mistakes that Toronto made uh, and ended up burying some goals because they do have some offensive punch, uh, despite how young they are on the blue line. And it was just fun. You know, it's one of those classic early season games where things are a little looser and, probably the right environment with the emotional upswing of all these kids starting their, their NHL careers uh, for them to pull off a win. And they did. Let me ask you about a couple of those kids. 22, 34. That's the ice time for Caden Gooley going into last night. Do you think Caden Gooley was going to tickle 23 minutes on the ice? Oh, I don't want to pretend like uh, I know more than anybody else, but I really did actually with Mike Matheson on the sidelines and watching Caden Gooley from rookie camp all the way through training camp. And obviously what he did last year, um, you know, in the WHL and the Memorial cup and all that, uh, he just, I don't know what your impression is, but he just looks unfazed. There's, there's going to be bumps. He's 20 years old, but he's just so calm and cool and collected. And, you know, I asked him, how do you, how do you, how are you so good at kind of shaking off mistakes? Cause he made, he made four of them in the game. You know, he, he gave away the puck and some, sometimes it flew off the stick in a way that he didn't intend it to. And it ended up on the other team's stick and his ability to just shake that off so easily and playing against some of the best players in the world. And Matthews Marner for half his even strength ice time. Like, you know, this kid has a really bright future and it was so obvious right out of the gate in game one. And yes, he is going to play a lot of minutes and a team with a lot of young players, Jeff, where there's going to be a lot of rotation where Justin Barron, who's in the minors is going to come up at some point. And Jordan Harris, who had a really good night last night, might go down and uh, Arbor Jack guys here. Yeah. And he might spend some time on Laval and Slavkovsky. Caden Gooley, I will confidently predict will not only never see Laval. I think he will play upwards of over 20 minutes a game. Hmm. He's impressive. Like he's been impressive from from I mean, from the first time I, I saw him playing in, in junior, um, and you always knew that eventually he's going to transition into the NHL and it was probably going to be smooth. But I'll tell you, and again, one game, right? One game here, Merrick. Don't get don't get too ahead of yourself. He yeah. looks like he's played in the league for a few years. Like he does not yeah, look, he does not look like a kid at all. 
Yeah, and it's not really reading. You know, what I'm saying about him isn't just reading it's that one game inside because there are going to be bumps along the road here, and he will need to be repelled a little bit, uh, you know, before propelling him forward. But, you know, what I like about this kid and what I've seen since he emerged in camp last year as a guy who looked physically ready to play at this level and then went back to junior yeah. is he didn't, he didn't just go back to junior to have a good year and continue to work on the things that he does well. He added an offensive dimension to his game and played with a lot more confidence on that side of it. He brought it to training camp and, yeah. and the preseason where he scored three goals, and he's going to bring it this year in the in the role that he's playing because no matter what happens, Mike Matheson was put on IR today, which is you know terrible news for Mike Matheson and also for the Canadians who are planning on relying on him for upwards of 25 minutes a night when he's never averaged more than 22, 23. But I think he's, he's ready for that, but I digress. You know, regardless of Matheson's health or Edmondson's health, Caden Gooley to me looks like a fixture in the top four and he's been developed the right way to be there right off the hop. And again, there's going to be nights where you say, okay, this was a night where he looked like a rookie, Um, but he's going to learn and adapt. And that's what he's kind of proven in a very short period of time, not just last night's game, but Mm -hmm. in his approach to improving a junior. Uh, alongside Eric Engels covering off the Montreal Canadiens for Sportsnet. Um, last night, big win by the Montreal Canadiens over the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it was Josh Anderson. But getting us there is a pair of goals um, from Cole Caulfield and one real nice sauce pass where he doesn't even break stride uh, by Nick Suzuki. Your thoughts on both these players? Like, I, I've heard the criticism of Nick Suzuki. We all had. Uh, last night, I think, went a long way to silencing critics. And I don't know what it is about, you know, Martin St. Louis, the uh, the Caulfield whisperer. Uh, but since St. Louis took off, Caulfield's had a rocket attached to his back. Yeah, and St. Louis gives Caulfield credit for that. And I don't know what changed here. And I don't want to, you know, dump on Dominic Ducharme or give all the credit to Marty because I do think the player deserves the credit. And I, I also think that there was something that happened over the offseason with Cole where he really worked on his power and his legs and his explosiveness. And it, it was very apparent from the first time he stepped on the ice in Brossard and the informal skates that I went to and before training camp ramped up. And I just think, you know, this is going to be in a year where the Canadians are expected to lose more games than they're going to win. Um, you know, Caulfield and Suzuki will be appointment television. Um, they just make the game exciting and fun and they're, they have a synergy about them and they spent, a lot of the summer, you know, Nick spent the whole summer in Montreal. Um, Cole was here for a couple of weeks and they were inseparable and they've just built this relationship on and off the ice. Um, they talked the game a lot. You know, I asked Cole the other day, you know, he spent all this time with Nick. How much of it is, is talking about the game and they, they really feed off each other and, and really understand the game on the same level and have the ability that they can play together. You know, they both have parallel abilities that are in the upper echelon of the league and, I don't know what the criticism is of Nick Suzuki outside of Montreal. Um, I haven't heard much of it within the market because I think the people that get to watch him on a nightly basis just understand he's a brilliant hockey player. And mm-hmm. I will say this. I have heard that people believe that maybe his ceiling is as a 75-point type player who plays well at both ends of the ice. Um, I would not put that ceiling on him. I think he can do a lot more than that. His creativity and his skill set and his ability to shoot the puck as well as he passes it makes him a very dynamic threat. He's an excellent power play player on a power play that should improve with a couple more shooting threats coming onto the team now. Um, And I just, maybe it's not this year that he hits between 80 and 90. um, And I think that will have more to do with the supporting cast than it does himself. 
but man, not only will he be able to do that, I think in his career, he's, he's going to be excellent at the other end of the rink where he was a little faulty last night on one of the goals. And that has to do, I think with not having the reps in training camp uh, missing, you know, kind of, he only played one game and missed it with missed the rest of training camp with a, a lower body injury and, uh, or an upper body injury and then a lower body injury. So I think, you know, once he gets the reps in, he won't make the kind of mistakes where he fly by, does a flyby on a, a guy like Dennis Malgan uh, instead of tying up his stick and there's no goal there. So we don't expect uh, Caden Gooley to see time in Laval. Like, I'm, I'm with you on that one. This guy looks really good. Do we say the same thing about Yuri Slavkovsky? Um, no, we don't. And then if things continue on trend he'll be there inevitably and and there will be a point but i, I like you know I, I did this interview with martin san louis on sports earlier in the week uh, on tuesday and we had 20 minutes together and, and 20 minutes is more than enough with, martin. with any other coach i would have said oh man i could really use 40 um with marty uh he really just gets into the concepts and what he believes in and, and is such a straight shooter that no matter what i would ask him he would have come out with something interesting and i loved what he said about your ice Lakowski. You know, he just said, We're, we have a plan for this kid, that if he goes down for any point, it won't necessarily be performance-based, that it will be based on we might want to see him run a power play for 10 games straight. We might want to see him do this or that, that we can't afford him in terms of ice time here because we're going to protect him a little bit. They have a plan with Slavkovsky. They're going day by day. The other thing that I really like that he said about him is that he's not interested in he, – he's fine with Slavkovsky making mistakes as long as he doesn't make the same ones over and over again. And he's not interested in coaching the one-offs. He wants to coach the trends. And in order to coach the trends, you need to get a real long-term evaluation on the player. And I don't think training camp with 75 players uh, invited with eight preseason games on the schedule and never being able to ice a, a roster that resembled an NHL roster with four lines rolling – could give the Canadians coaching staff as thorough of an evaluation as they'd want to have so that if they do send Slavkovsky to Laval, he's being sent there with the proper instructions of what to work on and the right message so that he's not taking it as some sort of failure. So I, I think, you know, I heard what you said on the podcast with Elliot and previewing the Eastern Conference, um, and you were so right. Like, it's enough with this stigma about number one overall picks and what it means if they don't have, like, you saw what happened with Jack Hughes and Alexi Lafreniere and the later development and I don't think anybody's doubting what kind of players they're going to be. Uh, Owen Power made a logical decision himself. Um, you know, Austin Matthews played up a year pro in Switzerland. That was a very smart decision on his behalf before coming to the NHL and torching it right away. Like, there's just a lot to learn about becoming a professional, but even more so if you're coming over from Europe and playing on the small ice for the first time. But I'll tell you one thing about Slavkovsky, Jeff. Confidence is there. He is a happy-go-lucky kid with a great attitude, and I, I think you know it's going to be a good experiment for him one way or the other. No matter what the results are offensively, he's going to be a really good player. Uh, he sure will be. And you know, here, here's what I wonder about the Montreal Canadiens. Like we all know what we all know what Chicago and Arizona are doing this season, uh, and it's going to be tough for Luke Richardson, who's a really proud guy and a really good coach. But we know what's happening with Chicago and and uh, and Arizona. You know, they're in the um, Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Like, their eyes on the prize, Connor Bedard. I think Montreal's still too good to be in that conversation, to be, you know, Chicago bad or Arizona bad this year. I think they're too good for that. So what's the plan for this season? Like, you've talked to Kent Hughes, Jeff Gordon. Like, you know all the decision makers there. What defines a successful season for Montreal? Because for Arizona and Chicago, it's get Connor Bedard. What is it for Montreal? 
You know, I hate to regurgitate the terms they're using, but it really is about growth. And it's not just about the personal growth of each player and the youth that they have on the team. Um, because let's face it, like with a, last night, outside of Chris Weidman and David Savard, who I think we both agree are not top two defensemen and on any good team or not mm. top four defensemen, um, they had 14 games of NHL experience on the blue line. You know? Yep. <laughs> like, like between four guys, and one of them played 23 minutes last night, you know, and, and had zero. So, like, they're not – they're okay. You know, if they, if they end up in the top five in the draft and have a crack at Connor Bedard, I'm sure management will be licking their chops and very happy about it because they know what it means in terms of the build that they're trying to achieve. Um, but they're also not only trying to grow their players from an individual standpoint, but establish a culture and establish a, as Kent Hughes put it, um, putting his agent hat on yesterday and talking to the media, because I asked him this specific question, what constitutes a successful season for the Montreal Canadiens? And he said, you know, I was an agent for players and we talk about taxes in Montreal and the pressure and this and that. Uh, or the cold weather, and, and I had plenty of players who were able to play golf and, and go to the ocean after practice, but if the hockey environment wasn't particularly good, they weren't particularly happy being in those marketplaces. So what they're trying to establish is a team that people want to be a part of, and I think that starts with the head coach and Martin St. Louis, and there's no question that the players that have rolled through here and the eight that have come in from other places this season, whether they're rookies or players from around the league, or the guys that were here last year under a different coach and then ended up under him. Everybody wants to go through a wall for this guy, and they exactly. love what he's preaching, and they love the way he's thinking about the game, and he is really deconstructing the way um, this job is done. And I, we were just here talking to Derek Lalonde about it and, and took a, the complete opposite path to his job, um, really a lifer as a coach yes. and, and finally graduating. And, I, you know, he's a whole other subject onto its own. you, you got to have him on your podcast. I think he's brilliant. Had him on the radio great show podcast. yesterday. It was yeah. great. It was well, great. He was go. on yesterday. So, it was awesome. Yeah, he, he's fantastic. But he said, you know, he's been watching closely what, what Martin St. Louis has been doing. And obviously yeah. the relationship was built in Tampa with him being a legend there. And, you know, this guy just has a different way of thinking about things. And I, not to keep bringing up the St. Louis interview I did earlier this week, but, like, his thoughts on why he runs an NHL practice so differently than what his own looks like and what generally the practices look like in the NHL, which are so focused on flow yep. and crispness and repetition. Um, he is really about coaching the brain. Uh, and, and that's something that he is deconstructing a narrative that has been out there for far too long that is not necessarily true. Um, but, but in his words, it's like, if we keep doing practice in that way where it's all flow and repetition and it's all pretty and great, the game doesn't look like that. Yeah. You're not properly simulating it. So you can't teach hockey sense within that construct. But if you actually simulate the game, you can, because you start to create a roadmap that people's, that players' brains refer to as they navigate different areas of the ice where it becomes second nature for them. Or like he said, it becomes like brushing your teeth. So I, I just think Marty St. Louis is a fascinating guy and he's where this whole culture that Kent Hughes wants to establish emanates from. And I, I think I think the Canadians have very good chance of achieving success in that regard in terms of turning themselves into a team that players want to play for mm -hmm. um, and establishing a way and an identity of playing that will bring success when their players develop to the point where they want to develop them. So. And you know what? At the end of it, if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, as long as you beat the Maple Leafs and as long as you beat the Bruins, it, everything <laughs> is just okay. Uh, enjoy Detroit, pal. We'll, uh, we'll check in regularly this season again. 
Yeah, they'll take two goals from uh, Caulfield tonight also. I'm sure they'll be happy with that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they'll be happy with that too. Uh, kids on fire. Uh, as always, thanks so much for this, Eric. See you, Deb. There he is, uh, Eric Engels, uh, who covers the Montreal Canadiens. Man, is he thorough about it as well. Uh, you can read all of his work, including his interview with Martin St. Louis at sportsnet.ca. Um, that was, yeah, we're running out of time here. Uh, always so much you want to get into a broadcast, eh? And then it's like, ah, you look up and it's like, oh, no, the clock is saying it's time for you to shut up, Merrick. Um, so a big night of action around the NHL last night, a huge night of action around the NHL tonight, a good night to dent your couch with your butt, 10 games on the go around the NHL. You'll get a chance to see the Pittsburgh Penguins face off against the uh, Arizona Coyotes. Uh, we all know what the score is for the Coyotes, don't we, folks? Uh, Philadelphia Flyers, who as Elliot mentioned uh, in a tweet about an hour ago, closing in on an extension with Travis Sanheim. Uh, he's poised to become an unrestricted free agent. Uh, the Swords and the Sens, the Panthers and the Islanders, Caps and the Maple Leafs. Uh, Rangers and the Minnesota Wild. Hey, you Marco Rossi fans. You're shot to watch them in the NHL. Stars and the Preds. Peter DeBoer's new team facing off against David Poyle and John Hines' squad. Avalanche and the Flames. That should be a good one. Blackhawks and Golden Knights. Seattle Kraken face off against the Los Angeles Kings. That's your 10-game universe tonight around the NHL. Thanks to our producer, Matt Marchese, our technical operator, Lance Kennedy, and camera operator, the great Jen Rolnick. Thanks for joining me on The Merrick Show. Back tomorrow to wrap up what has already been a really exciting week. Join me tomorrow.